I fill in once in a while. Where do I put this at? So I turned 51 earlier this week. Thank you. Much to Christie's chagrin, I lived another year. But I tell you that because that song, I was two years old when that song was recorded. So that's 1970, so you don't have to do the math. Um, but the thing about that is, is that song was actually sung by Janis Joplin. And if you're much younger than me, people don't know who Janis Joplin is. Despite the fact that she is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, she's just not really well known. She passed away very young. And this album, which is Pearl, was her second solo album, and she was uh, really on a rising star at that time. But the, there's a story to this song that we just heard, um, and as far as I understand the story, it goes like this. Um, Janis Joplin was a rising star in the mid-60s. People kind of knew her in the, I don't know, you guess you'd call it the alternative music scene. And then Woodstock happens. And at Woodstock, she performs, and she comes on the scene to the mainstream music people. And she really starts skyrocketing up. Um, and so then, in July of 1970, she is in New York doing a series of shows. This is before big stadiums, right? This is, she's in some theater doing shows. And she has an early show, and then she has a late show. And between the two shows, she goes to this bar next door to have a drink and relax before the next show. And she starts fiddling around with uh, these two friends of hers, and they're talking about this little poem that starts with, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? And in a few hours, on a bar napkin, they write the lyrics to this song. She then goes and performs that song at her show that night. A cappella, right? there's no music, they just wrote the words. Fast forward to late September, early October of 1970, Janice is recording her second album, which is the Pearl album. And for those of you that don't know, this is a record album. <laughs> this is my copy of the record album. Inside here was a sleeve so you didn't scratch the record. It's a piece of vinyl with grooves punched into it that were grooven into it. You can Google how a record player works. I will also show you that this is Christie's Survivor album, one of her Foreigner albums, her Journey album, and her soundtrack to Greece. Tim Hoynes owns a piece of rock and roll history, the soundtrack to Greece. Thank you, my love. So she's in Los Angeles recording this album, and she's in the studio one afternoon because all she has to do is go and listen to the, 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 the music tracks that have been laid down for a song called Buried Alive in the Blues. Um, she's then going to listen to it, make sure it sounds okay, and a few days later she'll come back in and lay down the voice track. They realize that they are going to be short on music on the B side of this album. Uh, an album has anywhere between 17 and 22 minutes. 17 was the average time they wanted to have on an album. 22 was the max you could have. They're at like 14, 14 and a half. That's not good. 
So as she's listening to this song, she likes what she hears. They say, what are we going to do? And they said, hey, Janice, how about you record that little minute 45 song? That's a cappella, so we don't have to have a music track. You can come in and do it. She goes into the studio, one take. She records that. Three days later, she dies of a heroin overdose. It's the last thing she records. The album is released in 1971, posthumously. Um, it goes on to become triple platinum. The song Me and Bobby McGee, which was a Chris Christopherson song, it has been covered by everybody, including Pink, um, was a number one hit off that song. Everyone agrees, including Chris Christopherson, that it is her song. This album somehow became an album that everybody of that age owned in their collection. I discovered it 13 years old in my mom and dad's music. <laughs> I fell in love with that album. I don't know, there's something about her voice that my wife can't stand, but there's something about her voice and this grit and this passion she sings rock and roll and blues with that I just loved. And I love this song. It's a minute 45 that was recorded just to fill space on an album. But I fell in love with this song, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized what I liked about it. Because if you ask anybody, they will tell you that it's a song about the commercialism of her, of her times. And it fits today, too. Don't we all want a Mercedes-Benz? Don't we all want a bigger TV? Don't we all want enough money to spend when we want, when, you know, whenever we want? But I don't think that's what it really is. When I listen to that song, I hear what she's saying. When I listen to that song, I hear a prayer. She starts out with, oh God, won't you? And don't we start our prayers with, oh God, won't you? And what's beautiful about this prayer that she sings is she expects God to give these things to her. This is a great example of what is called expectant prayer. She prays specifics, she prays personal, and she prays expectation that it will be delivered. She wants not just any car, she wants a Mercedes. And she tells why she wants it, so she can keep up with the Joneses. She wants a TV so that a game show can call her and she can win money. She even tells God the time frame. I need to have it before three because apparently she's too busy after three to accept gifts from God. Right? But this is the beauty of this thing that's called expectant prayer. And I sometimes wonder if we forget that we're supposed to pray like that. Specific, personal, and with the expectation that God will answer. Now you can say, well, Tim, we do pray expectant prayer, right? At the end of service, we ask for prayer requests all the time. And yeah, we do. And when people say their prayer requests, we remember it and we go home and we pray. But sometimes I think we are too humble in our faith to pray truly personally. A personal prayer doesn't always have to be about you. It can be personal about whatever you're praying for. If you're praying for someone's healing, someone's comfort, that's personal to you. And so it's okay to pray that. But at the same time, it is okay to pray specifically for you. And I think we don't 
do that enough. I think we don't pray expectant prayer enough. And praying that way is a biblical way to pray. Jesus himself teaches us about praying. And I'm not talking about the Lord's Prayer, this perfect model of prayer. I'm talking about Jesus telling us that you should be taking things specifically to God and doing it with expectations. So we're going to start in three different readings today. The first is out of Luke, it's chapter 18, and this is Jesus teaching in a parable about expectant prayer. He says, it's it's chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay them? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, really quick, we'll run through that story. This judge is a civil judge, right? If you have a civil suit, you're going to bring it to this judge. If you have a disagreement with your neighbor, you bring it to this judge. Jesus makes sure and points out one thing about the judge. He neither fears God or fears or respects man, which means this judge is probably corrupt. Which means that when two plaintiffs come to this judge, probably the one whose pocket is best, lines his pocket the best, is probably who the judgment's going to go in favor of. Now, we don't know why the widow, what the complaint the widow has is, and I think that's important, or it's not important. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this widow and what she does. Now, it's important also to point out that it's a widow because it's bad enough to be a woman in front of a judge in those days. A woman's, uh, a woman's uh, testimony in court had no value. Sorry, it just did. That's the way it was back in those days. It had no value. So if a woman's testimony in court was going to have value, she had to have a man come and say, yes, that's what happened or that's the truth. Now, if she was unmarried, it might be a father or a brother. If she was married, it was a husband. This was a woman who was a widow, which meant not only did she have no voice in the court, she also had no means to bribe the judge, and she had no one to say her testimony was true. This was the most powerful person, a powerless person, who could possibly bring up something to the judge. And yet, she is persistent. She goes to the judge every day with the specifics of what she needs. She needs justice against whatever this adversary is, and she keeps going back and back. She tells exactly what it is, and she won't give up and finally she beats the guy down and he gives in that is and and then Jesus goes on and says if if that's what a guy who doesn't fear God is like what happens when those who have put themselves in the loving care of the father what happens when they pray 
all the time. Specific, personal, with expectations, and even more important, constantly do it over and over and over again. When you pray like that, God is going to answer your prayer. But, and there's always a but, isn't there, when it comes to God answering prayer. You say, Tim, God doesn't always answer my prayers, right? I want my prayers all the time. And yes, you're right. I'm sorry. The Bible is full of people who pray specifically and don't always get what they want. We take, for example, Jonah. Jonah, the story of Jonah goes like this. Jonah's a man of God, lives in the northern kingdom of Israel. God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, the most evil city in the Assyrian Empire, and I want you to preach to them about how evil they are and how I don't like them and how I'm going to destroy them. And, jo and Jonah says, you bet I'm not going to do that. Gets on a ship, goes as far, trying to go as far away from, uh, from Nineveh as he can, the exact opposite direction, going to go to Tarshish. And then a storm comes up, and the guys are like, oh, no, the ship's going to sink. And Jonah says, oh, no, no, it's God. Uh, throw me overboard, and, this, and, and you'll be safe. And they do, and he's safe. Jonah ends up in the, in, inside the whale because God's protecting him from dying at sea. Jonah says, okay, God, I get it. I will follow what you want me to follow. Whale spits Jonah out onto, on, onto dry land, and God says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, you bet I'll go to Nineveh. Jonah goes off to Nineveh, he preaches the word of God to the city of Nineveh, and then he waits, because, you know, all the way to Nineveh, I'm making this part up, so maybe it didn't happen this way, but I think it did, because this is how Tim would do it. All the way to Nineveh, he's going, hey, God, I'm going to go speak your word to these people of Nineveh, and you are going to rain fire and brimstone down on them, because they are evil, and you're God, and I like you, and you're a holy God, and you are going to do this, so I'm going to go do your word, and then he just knows it's going to happen and the people of Nineveh repent, and God does not destroy them. And Jonah, like all of us would be, especially me, is upset. It's Jonah chapter 4. says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I, had, I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, just please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? You see, what Jonah failed to understand, what so many of us fail to understand, is that when we pray, we can't pray things that we want God to prove He's on our side. In that song, that last verse, Janice sings, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord. Please don't let me down. Prove that you love me and buy the next round. Isn't that really how we pray so often? And you may say, Tim, come on, you're reading too much into this song. My gosh, it was about consumerism, right? She's making a little joke. She's doing this like, yeah, maybe I am, but maybe I'm not. 
This whole song is about God, her asking God to show that you're here, show that you're on my side, show me that you love me. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but at the same time, three days later, she put a needle in her arm searching for that happiness that she wasn't finding anyplace else. Maybe she is asking that. The problem that we Christians in our walk run into so often, especially when we pray this expectant prayer, where we're really specific, where we are really personal, where we are really relentless in that praying, is that so often we pray like Jonah, and then I want you to answer it so it shows you're on my side. And the real truth is, is that God is not on your side. God is not on anybody's side. I don't care what Notre Dame football says. God is on God's side. And God's side doesn't have to prove that he loves you because God is love. God loves you because he is this thing that we understand as love. And as we walk further in our Christian walk, we mature and we begin to understand that love from God is this justice that he delivers to those who call out to him day and night. And sometimes justice is is beating that adversary, whatever it is. But sometimes justice is that peace we find as we look at things. Sometimes justice is knowing that God is taking care of what you're praying for. So we have to learn to stop asking God to be on our side when we pray and start asking for God's will in what we're praying for. And that's a hard, hard thing to do, to seek God's will in everything we do. When we pray for healing for someone, when we pray for comfort for someone, when we pray for our own demons, our financial problems, our own addictions, when we pray for release from those, we're actually praying for God's will in that situation to be done. We all know that when we pray for somebody who needs healing, they don't always get healed. And yet somehow, sometimes we see peace come out of that situation. A peace that you don't understand, a peace that doesn't make sense. How could there be peace in that situation when it's so tragic and yet there is? This is God answering that prayer within his will. And we have an example of that by Christ as well, or at least what I think is an example. It's also in chapter Luke, chapter Luke, chapter Luke, in the book of Luke, chapter 22. Jesus has just had the Last Supper, right? His Passover meal with his disciples. He goes out to the garden to pray. And it starts like this. It starts in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So Jesus himself kneels down to pray and prays this expectant prayer. It's specific. Man, it was personal. And he expected there to be an answer. And he also knew, however, that the answer couldn't necessarily be what his humanity side wanted. Right? We have to remember that when Jesus came to earth, he knew this was going to happen. He knew this day was going to happen. He knew how he was going to die. He knew that this part was coming and it was not going to be fun. And yet he came anyway. But there's something in this humanity that he took on that that at this moment, as he's approaching this time when he knows it's not going to be fun on his human side, that he's like, okay, I'm just going to double check on something here. And he says, God, you know, if there's any way, if there's any way you can lift this cup from me, if there's any way we can find a way that I don't necessarily have to go through all this, if there's any kind of a thing, maybe, you know, can we do it? But he also recognizes that within God's will, he doesn't have a choice. And it wasn't just God's will. It was his choice to do this. It was his choice to come to earth, to become sin for all the world, to take that away from us, to lift that all off of the people who, who, who trust in him. He knew this was coming. And he said, in your will, let's do this. And God answered that prayer within his will. God said, yeah, you're right. We knew this was coming. You know there's no way I can lift this from you. So I'm going to answer your prayer within my will. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. I don't know what that means. I don't know what strengthening means. I don't know if it gave him a pep talk. I don't know if he had a five-hour energy drink. I don't know, whatever, right? But we know that within God's will, strength was given to Christ at that moment. Strength was given. The prayer was answered within God's will. This explains how we can have hope in the times of hopelessness, how there can be light in the times of utter darkness. This explains why someone can die and be so happy that they're dying. Because God answers our prayers within his will. We just have to look for where that answer comes from sometimes. It is so hard to do that. But that's where learning to pray expectantly comes in so much. It's where we have to know that, God, I'm going to ask you this specifically God, I'm going to pray this personally. And God, I know you're going to answer it. And I know it may not be the way I want it to be answered, but I know you're going to answer it. I trust you're going to answer it. And I know that within your will, there will be peace in this answered prayer. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm probably always going to pray more like Jonah. This is my brokenness. Um, I'd like to pray like the widow, 
And I think it's really cool that Jesus doesn't mention exactly what her thing is. Because, you know, if, if we knew what her trouble was that she wanted to do, you know that what we would do is find a way to pray that same sort of a thing and then expect an answer for it because that proves God's on our side. <laughs> but he doesn't. He leaves those things a little vague because that's where faith comes in. That's where trust of the Lord comes in. That's where knowing that our walk will continue to help us grow comes in. It's not easy. We have to learn to do it. We have to work on it. And I've got three questions here as the, as the, as the band comes back up. I want to ask, us, ask ourselves this week. I'll read them off the screen. So how often do I pray expecting God to show me that he's on my side? And then the second one is, what can I do to make my prayer life more specific, personal, and relentless? And the third one is, what are three things I can pray for and seek the will of God in those answers? And I think the third one might be the most important. In her song, she prayed for three things. She prayed for a car. She prayed for a color TV. For those of you who don't know, I don't have a black and white, but they used to not have color. And she prayed for God to prove he was there. Find three things in your life and they don't have to be about you, but find three things you can pray for. Pray for them specific. Pray for them personally. Pray for them relentlessly. And pray for God to answer them. Amen?